As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview as we look ahead to match day three in the Premier League. I'm Tim Spears, back at the Athletics HQ in London, standing in for Adam Leventhal in the hot seat this week while he's away on his jollies, presumably hoping that Watford don't sack their manager. In fact, who is Watford's manager these days? Nope, moving on. Okay. Uh, right. We're here every Friday to set up the weekend's action, and with me this week, he's back once again. We can't get rid of him, slash, it's lovely to see you, it's Nick Miller. I'm just constantly available, that's the, that's the thing, there's nothing... Nothing more to it than that, I don't think. Nick's excited, everybody. <laughs> I can hear it. Uh, you're, you're extra excited because you're very pleased with yourself, uh, having just eaten your lasagna leftovers. Home, homemade lasagna. Uh, just want to clarify that, that homemade by me. From scratch. Yeah, but, but I am feeling a little bit sluggish now, having eaten quite a lot of it for lunch. Sluggish and smug. That's our Nick. Uh, Nick's excited. I can feel it. I'm excited. We've got two debutants on the show uh, joining Nick this week. Uh, we're going to start with the magnificent Ruben Pinder. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with your work, mm. uh, clue the listener in. Who the hell are you, Ruben? Um, I'm that guy off the Athletics TikTok account. Knew it. So, Knew uh, it's in you somewhere. Go and follow us on there if you don't have 20 minutes to read an in-depth feature. Um, we'll do our best to sum it up for you. It's good fun. But yeah, thanks for having me. Read the feature as well, though. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. We're going to move on to our second debutant, the wonderful Namdi Onyagwara. How are you doing? Is that a good pronunciation? That was a fantastic pronunciation. Oh, okay, Thank you very much. Uh, Namdi, uh, tell us who you are and where you come from. I was, I was going to do the Silla Black <laughs> just for Nick, but I thought, no, we'll just leave it. <laughs> um, part of the news team. So I'm very grateful that you dragged me from the busy news desk today to talk about a bit of football. But um, yeah, for like for like a young player that's just been promoted out of the youth academy, so if I can um, press the gaffer and do on well my debut today. Right, onto the football. Mr Leventhal likes his fixture formations, as we know. Uh, this weekend we've got a split of 1-6-3, one being a match on Friday for the uninitiated, 
six games on Saturday and three on Sunday. I don't know why he keeps doing this, but I'm going to carry it on in his absence. Uh, so, yeah, the fixtures we've got. We've got an intriguing clash on Friday night at Stamford Bridge with Chelsea v Luton. Then on Saturday, Bournemouth take on rejuvenated Spurs in the early kickoff. Then at 3pm, it's Arsenal versus an Alexander Mitrovic-less Fulham. Brentford, who look fine without Ivan Tony, take on Crystal Palace. Then it's 19th v 20th at Goodison Park as dreadful Everton take on the mighty and underrated Wolverhampton Wanderers. And then in what's a very rare event, Manchester United have a Saturday 3pm kickoff against Nottingham Forest. Then in the late game, Brighton will look to maintain their 100% record when they host West Ham. And then on Sunday, it's Burnley Villa, it's Sheffield United Man City. And the most lip-licking game, I think we can all agree, of the weekend is Newcastle v Liverpool. So that's where we're going to start. Newcastle-Liverpool, 4.30pm UK time on Sunday. Newcastle were fairly comfortably seen off by Man City last weekend, losing 1-0 at the Etihad. And Liverpool have looked pretty vulnerable so far at the back. Conceded within three minutes against Bournemouth and looked a bit shambolic. So I guess the question we're sort of asking of these two is, can either of them really be taken seriously as title contenders? Ruben, I'll come to you on this one to start with. I mean, it's early in the season, but from what you've seen, can either of these two realistically expect to challenge what we assume will be Man City and Arsenal? I don't think so. (laughs) But if, if I were to back either of them to sustain a challenge to what is now kind of the big two it would be Liverpool because they've just got more quality in attack um, well they've got more quality in their starting 11 um, but there are obviously fragilities in that team especially in defensive midfield I'd be intrigued to see how Endo gets on um, in his first few games because he was obviously like quite far down their list of of number sixes to get but interestingly like I'm far from the first person to say this but Newcastle in their current iteration reminds me of early Klopp's Liverpool you know they play the same system it's very energy focused they're brilliant in transition but then they're going to have to adapt to having Champions League football and obviously Liverpool are in the Europa League which that Sunday Thursday grind that extra knockout round that won't help them out so realistically I don't think either of them will push the top two but I could very realistically see them finishing third and fourth but maybe with a little bit of a gap in between that's the first time I've heard that Newcastle Klopp thing we obviously mix in very different sort of football circles um do you see what do you see what I mean though yeah no totally yeah yeah it's a decent analogy um Newcastle signed Lewis Hall this week on loan probable £35 million deal to follow. I'm going to be honest here. I'd heard of Lewis Hall, but in terms of a £35 million signing, you know, when you think that Alan Shearer was the world record at £15 million, and now uh, this, this this kid, I mean, he's a kid, potentially for £35 million. I don't know a huge amount about him. Can anyone enlighten me? Does anyone Is anyone a keen Lewis Hall fan? Not sure if I'd go as far as, say, keen Lewis Hall fan, but I know last season he kind of broke onto the scene. Um... I remember him playing two, three times. I think I remember Chelsea playing City about three times in a week um, around January, and he played in all three games, and he was really, really good, held his own against Mahrez. So I think Newcastle might have got him for his versatility, obviously his age, um, and hopefully he can have a similar impact that Livermento could have on the other side as well. I mean, you mentioned Livermento, yeah, the second sort of Chelsea Academy graduate that they've signed this window. Do you feel like, Nam, do you feel like it's, it's, that's his smart recruitment, you know, looking looking and building for the long term? Yeah, I would. I, I would say... It looks like Newcastle are trying to solve problems before they come a problem. So before Trippier is too old, I mean, the replacement's already there. Um, if you have questions about Dan Byrne, there's a, a complete different option out left back. So I think it's smart recruitment and it should be praised. Uh, Nick, I guess the big question for Newcastle, 
um, can they combine what we expect will be a decent push in the Champions League while trying to maintain what they did in the Premier League last season? I mean, they have, yeah, as we said, some decent recruitment, but combining those two is going to be really difficult. Yeah, and it's something that not too many of their players will have experienced before. Their manager hasn't experienced that before. Just kind of thinking off the top of my head through through that starting eleven, Trippier would have played in the Champions League for Spurs and Atletico. Is there anyone else? I'm being Isak, Tanali. Isak might have played for Sociedad. I yeah, think. yeah. Tanali, yeah, Tanali, Tanali. Um, but yeah, a, a very difficult thing to get used to. Just kind of back on Lewis Hall. I think it's just be. Namdi uh, was right in that he's he looks quite impressive when he played for Chelsea last season but it's always quite difficult to assess those young players that come into a team which are otherwise completely joyless and, and dreadful because they look they, they kind of look really good but you don't know if they are quite as good as they look in comparison to the rest of the team so if he kind of gets a bit of a go in what is already a, a, a pretty good team we'll have a kind of better better understanding of how good he actually is. I think it was important for Newcastle to sign a player like Lewis Hall because their backup to Dan Byrne last season was Matt Target, right? And he's not quite at the level that you'd want if you're playing in the Champions League. And also, Dan Byrne is a very specific type of player. And, you know, when Potter put him at left back, I, I remember everybody sort of questioning it. Who's this like gangly centre half playing at left back? But he's done very well. But it's nice to have for them to have that other option where more of a traditional attacking fullback. I think we're all pretty confident that Newcastle are, you know, are going in a certain direction, upward curve. But Liverpool, it's hard to call really. They were shambolic against Bournemouth last week. They could have conceded three in the opening ten minutes, and that was with their first choice back five just making, you know, what felt like really basic defensive errors. Um, but strangely, it might not feel like it, but Liverpool on the longest unbeaten run of the Premier League, thirteen games, stretching back to when they lost to Man City in April. But Ruben, it hasn't. They haven't felt convincing in any way, really. No, they seem like the sort of team who, you know, this unbeaten run might continue. They might draw two all against Newcastle. That feels like quite a, a feasible result. Um, and, you know, in the absence of having that really solid midfield, like you compare the current midfield that they've got. So let's say Endo comes back in and he's playing behind McAllister and Soboslai. Compare that to Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum, the midfield three that won the Champions League. The, the one from four years ago is a lot more rock solid and um, kind of transitional, I guess. So they, they're going to have to adapt how they play. I feel like they'll probably win a lot of games 4-3 this season, um, which will be fun for the neutral and stress-inducing for the fans. Um, but yeah, I, the that is one of the most surprising stats I've heard because it really doesn't feel like they are that kind of in, invincible team at the moment. Namdi, they're sort of pursuing or persisting rather with this box midfield, as it's called, with Trent Alexander-Arnold sort of pushing inside. Is is that something that they'll continue with for the rest of the season? Is is that like that? Is that Klopp's idea, or is is that more of a short-term fix? I think I can't say if they will, but I think they should. I think Trent is way, way too um, talented technically to be wasted out at fullback. I think we saw it towards the end of last season. I think we saw it in a couple of England games over the summer as well. I think getting Trent involved in build-up, um, especially with Endo coming into a new league, if Endo is going to um, reprise this role that Fabinho made his own for years, if Trent is going to tuck inside there, I think it just helps Liverpool maintain possession, dominate games, and if it is a steer away from the rock and roll football that we saw from years ago, if they are trying to dominate games, then I think Trent has to be in that box. It, it feels like they haven't quite got used to the idea of 
covering the right hand side when um, Alexander Arnold moves into midfield. Man City obviously that they, they, they use this system slightly differently, but they are very good at that of the the whole defense kind of shifting over. What is also interesting is how it will by by moving Alexander Arnold into midfield how whether that will kind of stymie Robertson on the on the left obviously going to be a good been a brilliant attacking option for them for a long time excellent use of the word stymie there thank you which I haven't heard on a podcast in a long time yeah uh, yeah very good um yeah we expect Endo to probably start Alexis McAllister can play his his ridiculous red card against Bournemouth uh, rightly overturned I'm sure sure we all agree I guess if they both play and Tonali and Bruno play, that feels like a really key area to this game, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Liverpool will probably have Trent in that area of the pitch. The midfield battle will be crucial. And Newcastle's midfield is, as I said earlier, like a lot, like a like a classic Klopp midfield. It's full of energy. Bruno Guimaraes is not the type of, you know, six who just kind of sits deep. He, he gets about as well. And Tonali showed on his debut how dangerous he can be in, in attack as well kind of making box crashing runs I, I would be favouring Newcastle for this game personally because I think kind of as Nick alluded to the the box midfield system that Liverpool play it solves one problem but then it kind of causes others So Ruben favours Newcastle for this one Namdi who do you fancy? Yeah I favour Newcastle as well Nick? Yeah Newcastle high scoring high octane affair Tune in then. Uh, for more on Liverpool and Newcastle, you can check out our Walk On or Pod on the Tyne podcast. Tony Evans here, your host of the Athletics dedicated Liverpool podcast, Walk On. They're ready to have a new captain, a new look midfield, and we're ready for the new season. Join me along with our stable of Liverpool writers, including James Pearce. For me, this is succession planning. Simon Hughes. They need a lot to, to go their way in a short space of time to, to set the team up for a successful season, I'd say. And Kiva O'Neill. Feel ready now for the season. We're with you weekly each Wednesday on Apple, Spotify and all major podcast platforms. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search the Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Right, next up, Manchester United hosts Nick's Nottingham Forest. That sort of makes it sound like Nick's the manager. But as far as we know, uh, it's still Steve Cooper. I would not um, dare to uh, presume to, to be in place <laughs> of the mighty Steve Cooper. Uh, yeah, as we said earlier, this one's 3pm Saturday in the UK. And for United, it comes after a pretty alarming defeat to Spurs last weekend. Nick, we'll come to you given your Forest allegiances. United on a seven-game winning streak at home. Forest won away league win in a year. That's a calendar year. Uh, but you'd imagine, I guess, given the performances of the two teams in their opening two games, it's not as cut and dried as a home banker. No, I mean, it's, it's, United were so weird last weekend because they didn't—they weren't very good, but they equally could have been a couple of goals up at half-time. So, you know, 
are we going to be talking about would would, it, would we be talking about them very differently in that case uh, obviously Mason Mount's not playing no one's really sure if that's a good or a bad thing for United at the moment kind of just figuring out what he's doing there uh, and injured Forrest, at the moment not playing at the weekend yes yeah yep. um, and yeah an awful lot of that the the poor uh, away results were last season when Forrest hadn't really well Cooper hadn't really figured out the kind of jumble of players that he had been given towards the back end of the season um, and to a, to a point against Arsenal they, uh, on the first day of this season they were much more solid um, pretty good on the counter-attack as they showed with the, the goal against Arsenal and um, Tyo Wanyi's, you know, in God mode at the moment, um, scored in what was it, six six games, six, six yep. straight games. Um, so that they, in theory, they have the the perfect players to do the, you know, play basically play five four one and hit teams on the counter attack, um, which again is in theory would be the way to go against United Old Trafford Goals are the problem for United I mean they only scored 58 last year uh, Marcus Rashford was you know the very obvious source of goals but it was a it was a freak season by his normal scoring standards so Ruben I mean if you can't produce that level again where, where do the goals come from for United? They come from Bruno Fernandes long shots I guess like it's uh, it's a tricky one for them especially with like Hoyland coming in um, obviously he hasn't played in the Premier League yet uh, will, will he hit the ground running because like I know he costs a lot of money and people are excited about him but his goal scoring record in Italy doesn't scream guaranteed success in his first season um, so yeah it's they they are still really reliant on Rashford and obviously that works at times last season because he had some purple patches um, like just after the World Cup but they, he had other quiet spells as well it doesn't feel like creativity is a huge problem I mean They've had an XG of 4.28 in their first two games, obviously just the one goal. They will make at least one change here, as we said, Mason Matt's injured till after the international break. But Anthony and Garnacho played both games, Namdi, and not really massively impressed. Is it Sancho time, or what other changes can you see Ten Hag making? Um, I think, and that's a good point, I think um, the debate on Rashford as a nine has gone on for way too long. I think that should have been dead and buried years ago. Um, I know with Hoyland's injury and records ain't there anymore, so it's not really the um, backboard to play off. But I think, I mean, we saw the Sancho false nine a trial in pre-season. That didn't go too badly. So I think desperate times call for desperate measures for United at the moment. I think that might be time to bring Sancho back in. I agree with Ruben that I thought Mount um, would have fitted in well in that midfield. But as as it's shown so far, it's not really worked. And I don't think United should be against maybe bringing McTominay back in as a left number eight, and if Casemiro does feel a bit isolated, I know McTominay will bring in some athleticism, maybe be a bit more robust, help him defensively, and we've seen how McTominay can be used for Scotland as well and make late runs into the box and get onto goals as well. So I think, yeah, there probably is, this weekend, probably the best time to make some iterations to that team. Desperate times call for Sancho. Thanks, <laughs> Matt, the, the, the title of this podcast. Hope you're not listening, Jaden. Um, <laughs> he tunes in every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, lots been made of Casemiro's sort of start to the season, not exactly being written off, but people saying, you know, can he can he reproduce the levels of last season? What what have you made of him and United's midfield? Nick? It, kind of, it does sort of, sort of feel like the way people, some people are talking about him is, oh, he's, he's finished, he's old, he's thirty two years old. Or whatever, I think whatever. he's just thirty. He's just thirty. Well, well, there you go. Uh, ancient. Thirty one. Thirty one. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, as Nandi says, I think it would be a, a good idea to put someone a little bit more solid next to him and not not trying to overstate the um, dynamic threat of Nottingham Forest. But the way that Forest will probably play uh, will they, they will have two kind of slightly more sitting midfielders and then ahead of them Morgan Gibbs White and Danilo and they were if it was just Casemiro playing in that kind of area those two will not leave him alone they will kind of swarm all over him there will be absolute pains in the arse to to play against so I think possibly giving him a little bit more help might be a decent idea for for this game Um, whether you know Manchester United will countenance making a more defensive plan to deal with Nottingham Forest, I don't know. but Well, the fringe players didn't exactly do themselves justice in a friendly against Burnley midweek because they lost 3-0 uh, behind closed doors. That was mostly fringe players. That's um, weird. Is that weird? Why are you t- There's a couple of teams have done, been doing that, been p- playing like behind closed doors friendlies in the third week of the season. Is this just a sort of fitness thing? I th- it-, I, it seems bizarre to me. Like it's During an international break, maybe, yeah. but like just after the season has started like it's bizarre yeah it's, J- J- July is the time for that isn't it right that's, is it, that's it, how it goes it, is it like a kind of the pre-season isn't what it used to be kind of thing it's all you know tours now and it's not not about getting fitness up so they're using the Tuesday before Saturday <laughs> game for, for this instead I'm not sure it does feel quite overly intense and I know Karl Anker's piece was speaking about United mm. players potentially being a bit overburnt as well so I can't think uh a friendly against Burnley midweek would help. But at least Donny van der Beek gets to kick a ball. <laughs> That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Poor, poor Donny. Bless him. Um, as for Forrest, the one news, he said, the obvious danger man uh, scored in his last six Premier League appearances, although judging from his celebrations, he's not too happy about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that. I haven't really got to the bottom of it. He's, he's extremely religious, and I, w- I kind of wonder whether that was part of it. He's just kind of taking a moment to thank God rather than um, you know celebrate wildly. But yeah, who knows? He looks kind of angry about it, though. Like, yeah, it's well, I, I don't know. I don't think he looks angry. It's more. It, the, I think there's slightly more of the yeah. Well, of course I've scored. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Bit, what, bit of the Balotelli does a, does a pose yeah. celebrate. When yeah, he, yeah, a little bit. How dare you think any differently of me, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, Elise is similar. Do you remember his free kick against United mm. last season? He just didn't look bothered at all. Yeah. Namdi Nick's made a pretty good case for Forest, at least giving them a game on Saturday. Who are, you, who are you leaning towards for this one? <sighs> yeah, you know what? I think I'll agree with Nick on that one. Yeah, I think Forrest going to be a good game. I think, Blimey. I think they were really good when they came to him a couple of weeks ago and I think they'll get the result. Uh, Ruben? I'll, I'll go for a narrow United win. Nick. Yeah, I think that's that's probably most realistic. I mean, if Forrest, if Forrest play like they did in the second half against Arsenal, it'll be a good game. If they play in the second half, um, play like they did in the second half against Sheffield United, then they'll get absolutely battered. So uh, I th- I suspect it will probably be narrow, mm. narrow and unconvincing United win. Ah, oh, Nick, you left me. Left me out I know. Out. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I was just playing devil's advocate. You know, I've got I've got friends who won't be able, won't sort of forgive me if I do Forest Down <laughs> a podcast like this. So. Excellent. Right. For much more on Man United, check out Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell, Carl Anker, and Ian Irving on our Talk of the Devils podcasts. Right, it's very, very, very early in the season, but 
Everton v Wolves on Saturday. Feels like a bit of a big one. Uh, Everton are twentieth, Wolves are nineteenth. Unjustly, uh, it's it's been called the the broke derby in the script here. I'm not sure that's quite going to catch on, but obviously both teams have got some serious financial issues. I mean, Wolves have had to sell a lot of players this summer: Ruben Neves, Connor Cody, Raúl Jiménez, Nathan Collins. They've lost Matinho and Traore on a free. There are still more sales to come, possibly one uh, to the champions, which we'll talk about in a bit. Meanwhile, Everton dealt a huge blow this week when US investment firm MSP Capital pulled the plug on a minority stake in the club. Here's Matt Slater doing his best Margot Robbie in the bath impression from the big short. Obviously, that's a reference everyone knows. To explain <laughs> the collapse of the deal between MSP Capital and Everton on yesterday's episode of the Daily Football Briefing. Here's Margot Robbie in a bubble bath to explain. Well, a, a deal that Everton owner Farhad Mashiri has been working on for months, in most of this year in fact, has collapsed. MSB Capital, a New York-based sports investment fund, were going to lend money to both Everton, the football club, and Everton Stadium Company, the, the, the subsidiary that's been set up to, to build a new stadium at Bramley Moor Dock. And this money, up to 150 million, was going to be in convertible debt, was going to be basically a loan with warrants that could convert into equity. And this was going to give MSP a stake of up to 25% in the club and provide crucial 100 million pounds toward the stadium build, which still needs another 360 million or so to complete, it was then going to give confidence to further lenders, basically JP Morgan and uh, a Japanese bank. But as well as the stadium, it was also going to provide much needed working capital for the club, which has been losing money for years, as everyone knows, is facing a, a Premier League independent investigation over overspending, and is just right up against it in terms of FFP, has been through two relegation battles, is facing a third, and badly needs some money. They've, um, they've only spent one transfer fee. They've only brought in, I think, three players. So this, this money is badly needed and it's not now going to arrive. Now, MSP had an exclusivity period. It's up. The deal is dead. They're still going to make the loan to the stadium development company, but they are not going to do the equity deal. It's just going to be a straightforward commercial loan. That means the Everton Football Club side of it they're, they're, they're short of cash. They're still, they still face the same cash flow problems and Mashiri still faces the same funding deficit in terms of the stadium co. So this is, um, this is very concerning. Namdi, I don't know if you saw Everton against Villa the other day, but they were truly disgusting <laughs> in defence. <laughs> uh, it, um, it was insane. It just doesn't feel like a Sean Dice team. Yeah, no, at the moment it really doesn't. I still think that some of the components are there. I mean, I know they lined up um, with their trademark uh, Gay, Anana and Decore midfield. I, th- I do feel like his reliance on Michael Keane is, if it's not cost him already, I mean, I don't know when when the penny will drop. Um, I know he made another mistake last week. But I mean, there, I think there are signs on a traditional Dice team. Um, and I think Calvert-Lewin would have been his Chris would Ashley Barnes if he could stay fit I know his recent injury was really really unfortunate but Neil Mopo just doesn't fit the mould of that big number nine I think Ellis Sims had potential to fit that mould mm-hmm. um, but he's been shipped off to Coventry but 
Yeah, I mean, there was energy and creativity on the wings with McNeil and Awobi last season, but they're both injured as well for Saturday. So I think there are signs for an athletic and robust Dice team. I think there are signs of the teams of Dice that we've seen over the years, but with like the mountain injuries, the lack of investment, um, uncertainty around the club and, and the fans, it does look quite bleak again for them. Blimey, anything else? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, the defence was terrible the other day. Ruben, they only scored 34 last season. As Namdi says, Dominic Calvert-Lewin picked up what was a really nasty-looking injury. You know, I guess it's unlikely he'll play any part this weekend. Can you see anything other than a season of struggle for Everton? No, not after you know this recent news, the injuries they've got, the fact that Michael Keane starts every week. It's it's not looking good. Like they were so reliant on Calvert-Lewin being fit and in form, and you know if he wasn't there, then Richarlison, and you, they just can't rely on Calvert-Lewin even being available. Um, unfortunately for him and the club um, and yeah without Richarlison they really lack any kind of cutting edge up top um, and I've I've noticed like their last few starting 11s it's, it must be injury induced like because McNeil's not available but they seem to basically play five central midfielders and you know and whoever up top but it's like you know Decore, Gay, Anana, they're all good players and you know James Garner and Iwobi I rate both of them as well but they're not right and left sided midfielders like Iwobi actually one one of the few good things that Frank Lampard did was move Iwobi into a, like a number 8 position um, so yeah the, the, the starting 11 doesn't inspire hope at all and you know having seen how well Wolves played in their defeat against United I would definitely expect them to, to win this game Steady on, doesn't it? You can't say that. Uh, Nick, Everton, any hope? Uh, No, not really. I mean, it does, uh, you know, Matt has explained his uh, piece there that the kind of short version is they appear to be screwed. Um, And particularly if, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to come to any conclusion other than Dominic Calvin-Lewin is cursed because obviously his his injury last weekend was nothing was not like a repeatable thing it's not like his you know his hamstring went again or whatever um it it feels like that the 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 kind of narrow midfield thing is a sort of circumstance thing because they've signed Jack Harrison who's currently not (laughs) currently injured and Dan Juma so it feels like they do want to play with wingers they just haven't got them at the moment they signed uh, uh, Yusuf Chimetti this um, the the kid from Sporting yeah Uh, earlier on on Thursday I think Sean Dyche was asked uh, he, he was. He's basically said he's not fit yet, and someone quite reasonably said, "Well, why didn't you sign a player who was uh, was kind of fit to play?" And he basically said, "Well, this is the player. This is the deal we could get done. We couldn't sign anyone else." Which, even if even if it's true, don't say that. Just you know, you know, kind of build a kid's confidence up. Then you know, you don't you don't say, "Well, he was around. Some we bought him. Couldn't really get anyone else." But yeah, that. I don't hold a, a huge amount of um, optimism for Everton. I mean, I don't hold a huge amount of optimism for Wolves either, but you'll know kind of more about that than us, Tim. What, uh, is there any sort of significant optimism for Wolves this season? The, the kind of look on your face suggests not really. <laughs> That's just the way I always look. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was quite optimistic before uh, Lopetegui left because he was their sort of trump card last season you know uh, the squad itself is is pretty good there's an awful lot of talented players there but once he's gone and Gary O'Neill's come in it just signals we're just trying to stay up this season and if O'Neill can't command the respect of these players a lot of whom have sort of swapped the Champions League 
to come here for Lopetegui or previous managers. You know, if, on- if O'Neill can't can't get the respect to them and get them playing, then yeah, you you really worry for them. I mean, the, the sort of narrative after the Man United game, which I know a lot of people saw because it was on the Monday night. Uh, was that oh if Wolves play like that every week they'll be fine but I was just like no we scored, <laughs> we scored 31 goals last season if we can't score from that many shots how, how do we score you know and then yeah it's a similar story as Brighton but obviously with horrendous uh, defensive issues so um, no not optimistic we've got a lot of very pretty very attractive players um, but no one's finish off the chances and the defence looks a bit leaky now as well so I always thought that there was a game uh, a few years ago which was um, QPR against Reading, uh, and I think it, it was ended nil-nil, a, a result which meant both teams went down. And I always previously thought that was the saddest Premier League game of all time, but it feels like this one is is really going to give it a run for its money. Was that the one where Jose Bosingua was seen just kind of having like laughing on the pitch after the final whistle? I think you're not really narrowing it down there. I think he did that quite <laughs> a lot when he was at QPR. But but the, I, I think Harry Redknapp and Nigel Adkins were the managers, I think, and were the, 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 at the end of the game it was just like, oh, well, never mind. Yeah, it's they... a shame, isn't it? But yeah, this the, uh, I don't know whether I could sort of bring myself to watch this game at the weekend. It just feels too bleak. Well, you can't. It's not on telly. <laughs> Even the highlights. <laughs> Even the highlights. Even the highlights. You're going to refuse to watch Max. <laughs> not going to refuse to watch it, but yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen Mateus Nunes, the subject of a surprise bid from Man City. I mean, Pep Guardiola has you know, spoken very highly of Nunes in the past, but still, uh, he had a terrible season last year. I don't know if any of you guys have got a particular opinion on Nunes and whether he would fit into Man City's formation or system or is he good enough to even you know play for Man City well they're changing they seem to be evolving their shape again City which is makes that a little bit difficult to answer really because they they you know they settled on a system last season everybody copied them and now they're kind of tweaking it again um, to adapt to the the absence of Mares and now De Bruyne so um, I mean did he not? Did Nunes not score an absolute worldie against Chelsea last season? That was, yeah, that was the, yeah. the one thing okay. he did all season, literally. Right, but yeah. nothing else? No, nothing. So he, he okay. spent the whole season looking like he'd been told he was moving to Liverpool at the end of his first season, which was which was the strong rumour as to how Wolves had managed to bring him in. Because he was so so highly rated when he was at Sporting. Um, and, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to accuse players of... But anyway, he, he just looked like he didn't, he didn't want to be there. And then, and then against Brighton the other day, I don't know if you saw his absolutely ludicrous red card, yeah. where he's already on a yellow, and then he pushes not one, not two, but maybe three Brighton players. It's like I really don't fancy going to Goodison Park this week. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, not great. Um, we'll see what happens with that one. Right, let's have a look at some of the other fixtures this weekend. Luton are back in action tonight after missing a game week last weekend because Kenilworth Road badly needs upgrading. Um, and they play, yeah, Chelsea away tonight. Pop quiz team, when was the last time Chelsea played Luton in the league? Must have been 1992. Not quite. No? No. 1991. Yes. There you go. <laughs> December 91. Oh. Uh, Luton 2, Chelsea nil. In fact, if you look at the history of Luton against Chelsea in the, in league fixtures, which I know we all have, but just to inform the listener, uh, I think it's like 15 wins to Chelsea and 12 to Luton, which kind of, you know, for our younger listeners, Chelsea weren't always good. But Luton weren't always bad. Um, so, yeah, it feels like Luton's still an unknown entity. I mean, they just had that um, game against Brighton where they lost on the opening day. Can Have they got the weapons to hurt a young and inexperienced Chelsea side, Nick? Maybe I mean they've got they've got a a few sort of theoretically dangerous players. Colin Morris looks an absolute p- 
pain in the ass to play against. Um, it's right. like the second time we've used that uh, particular yeah. phrase today. Yeah. Pains yeah. in the ass. Sorry. Um, sorry for the blue language. Um, <laughs> quite difficult to think anything other, if you look at their squad, to think it's other than a, that just looks like a championship squad, which obviously doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to they're gonna be bad, but I think they've they've possibly been banjaxed a little bit by their having to postpone their second game. Really, you kind of think that they would need some regular games to kind of get used to the Premier League and get get you get up to speed a little bit more. But as it turns out, their their first two games are going to be a way to Brighton and 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 admittedly, as we discussed earlier, in transition, Chelsea. So. Um, it may, maybe if they'd have they were supposed to play well scheduled to play Burnley last last weekend. Maybe if they'd have played against a slightly more familiar opponent that they, they obviously know from last season, then that might have um, that might have been better for them. But you know, as as we've kind of seen uh, certainly uh, last week and uh, elements of the first game as well, don't underestimate Chelsea's capacity to you know self destruct and do something stupid so who knows yeah Luton tough start but they've got a kind of September they will have their first home game uh, on Friday 1st of September that's next week home to West Ham and then they've got Fulham Wolves and Everton the next three in September so that'll be uh, a decent test of where they're at Uh, Namdi Arsenal's defence survived a pretty stern test late on at Palace on Monday night Declan Rice looks like he's doing pretty well but interestingly Gabriel's not started either of the first two games How, how do you and well, you're going to speak on behalf of the Arsenal fans here. How do, how do <laughs> Arsenal fans feel about that? I would, I would think I'd be fair to say that it's a bit puzzling. Um, Arteta is not the most straightforward manager, so it's kind of hard to predict what he thinks or what he wants to do. But it, yeah, Gabriel being left out is a bit weird. I mean, before um, the season opener against Forest, he started our last 73 games, 73 Premier League games. And yeah, he was probably one of our most consistent performers over the last two, three years. He does have a mistake in him, admittedly, but his his performances have never dropped off to the point where we thought he'd be dropped. I think it might make a little bit of sense when you take into context uh, the Saudi interest, the report of Saudi interest in him and seeing where his head might have been at. Um, but also as well, the fact that Zinchenko has been injured for the start of the season, knowing how Arteta plays with an inverted fullback, instead of Tomiyasu, you can't really do that job as well as Zinchenko can. It's been Partey that's been doing that job. And so when Partey is playing at right back, um, the back three has normally been Ben White, Saliba and Tomiyasu until his red card on Monday. So I think if Zinchenko, who did play against Palace and probably might start against Fulham, that yeah, you probably 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 would see Gabriel come back into the team. Um, but if not, then yeah, I think it'd be right to ask some questions. Good stuff. Arsenal Fulham on Saturday, then it's Man City facing Sheffield United on Sunday. After that, they play Fulham, West Ham, Forest and Wolves. Ruben, is that a 100% record for their first seven games of the season, potentially? Yes, probably. I mean, they they are missing some key players and they're like, you know, Stones and De Bruyne and they're, they're adapting to um, a, probably a new system, as I said earlier, but there's, they've got so much quality on the pitch and, you know, if Haaland's fit, then you'd back them to win all of those games, really. Um, but I, I, I will watch City with, uh, you know, with interest over the next few weeks just to see what they do. Um Tactically, obviously, like Kovacic coming in to replace Gundogan, bit of a different player. Um, still think like perfectly suited to City. He looks so much more at home at City than he ever did at Chelsea, really. Um, so yeah, I I can't see City dropping any points in those games, and therefore Arsenal can't either. <laughs> even even without De Bruyne. 
yeah i think there's enough um there's enough creativity in the rest of the team and you know alvarez is very good in that kind of inside right 10 position whatever you want to call it and and you know it's foden's time to shine really like he needs to have a big year because um, with Mares and Gundogan gone, and now De Bruyne injured, those that's three spots in a team that he could theoretically play very well in. So um, if he doesn't kick on and you know become a, a guaranteed starter over the, the next few months, then something's wrong. Right, that's it from us. My thanks to Nick, Ruben, and Namdi for coming in today. Ayo Akinwaleri will be back next week and Adam will be back with you next Friday. Your producer today was John Rogers with assistance from Mike Stavrou and Adam Jones and your executive producer was Aidy Moorhead. If you liked what you heard, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. You can sign up right now for just $1.99 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com slash football pod. Thank you for listening. The Athletic.